Hey, this is JT, and welcome to another episode of The Critical Thought. Today's episode, we will be interviewing a fellow content creator, Justin, and he comes to us from XJW Diaries. You know, many times we do videos that deal with people who are known as born-in, people who from the very time they can ever remember, this is all they remember, being involved with Jehovah's Witnesses. Or we may interview people who come in as adults. But today's episode will deal with those who fall right in the middle. Imagine being in the fifth grade with friends, having a good time, doing all kinds of activities. And after the summer, you come back in the sixth grade as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, we're going to examine and he's going to share with us what his experience was in living that life. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. All right, y'all. We want to welcome you to another episode of The Critical Thought. Um, we're here with uh, Justin from XJW Diaries. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. Thanks for showing up. Appreciate that. It was yeah. good to get together for you, man. Yeah. Absolutely. We're excited to hear um, uh, more about what's going on in your neck of the woods in terms of Watchtower and how you got out and sharing with our audience all about, you know, some of the things that you, how you woke up to uh, learning about the truth about the truth. So um, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about how you and your family became Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I wasn't fully raised as a witness, actually. We didn't come into it until I was around about 11, 12 years old. Actually, it was right before I was going into getting ready to go into sixth grade. So you got to think fifth grade. I was just a regular worldly kid. Then I went into sixth grade over the summer, summer break. We became witnesses. I went into sixth grade, full on witness. Um, so that's how we got into it. Basically, a knock on the door. My parents were just at the right time in their life where they were willing to listen and they started to study right away. You gotta wow. be kidding me. You guys were contacted Man. in the door to door work. <laughs> 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 oh my god. Yeah. Oh, so, and both of them, both of them accepted. Yes and no. Yeah. So my mom was the one that was more willing to to do it. Um, okay. my stepdad. So I grew up in a, in a split family home. So my stepdad was, he studied, but he never got fully into it. My mom was the one that got into it. Within six months, she was an unbaptized publisher. Wow. Six months from that, full on baptized. So your mom got baptized. How did your father follow in her footsteps? Um, so he studied. He studied. Um, and he studied kind of off and on with different people. But that was as far as he went, though. He would attend meetings and he would comment every now and then, but he he wouldn't fully commit to it. I think he just inside he knew this is not it. <laughs> um, and also he grew up in a very, very, very strict church when he was uh, growing up. So he was already kind of turned off to religion at that time to begin with. Um, so I think he already had a wall going up and that kind of protected him a little bit. So, yeah, oh, I see. It, it's, it's kind of common. Mm -hmm. He he basically tolerated the witnesses, and you sit in mm -hmm. a lot of households. Uh, that's the way it was. My, my my dad never got baptized. He tolerated the witnesses. You go over to the little function they have. He had folks over. He had no problem with that, and and so he basically 
just <laughs> tolerated. But he was never he he just felt the brothers had too much control in people's lives. Absolutely, that was exactly it. That's exactly right. it. Yeah, don't let these these strangers come into your house and tell you how to run your family, how to raise your kids, and what to do in your life, what you're allowed to watch, what you're allowed to listen to, and yeah, it's just too much control. So yeah. exactly. So then, so then, how did you transition as a youngster in you know becoming this you know knowing all about birthdays, having regular friends, to now having this this different life that you have to live? Not smoothly, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely not smoothly. Um, for so I have three siblings. The two of them, two of my other siblings, were they just kind of went along with it. Um, on my side, I was definitely the rebel amongst amongst us. So I was the one that was like, "We got to do something. We got to have some sort of substitute for Christmas and birthdays." And and my parents actually obliged for a little bit there um, until that got turned off too. But. Uh, yeah, I wasn't really with it at first. At, at those first couple of years, I was I was fighting it, and it was tough. It, it would be tough for any kid because you're so used to being able to to get stuff and um, and celebrate those holidays and be able to hang out with your family and friends and stuff on those days. Um, and then all of a sudden, now it's bad. And one of the hardest things was that you have to learn that it's bad. So because I hadn't learned that it's that it's bad. I felt bad, you know, because they're constantly telling you if, if you people that do this stuff, people that like this stuff, they're bad people. Well, I, I still liked it. So did that make me a bad kid? And that's one thing that they. Um, that's one of the big issues with witnesses is that they can make a good kid feel like a bad kid. That's true. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for what about sure. your siblings? You, you mentioned that you had two other siblings and you said that those siblings, they just went along with it. Were they older than you or younger than you? No. So I'm the oldest of all my siblings. So I've got actually two siblings that went into the witnesses. That's at my mom's house. And again, I grew up in a split family home. So at my dad's house, I was also the oldest and I had two more siblings there. Um, and they they were never witnesses over there. So Right. So see, you're fifth grade going in, going into the sixth grade. They're younger than you. So they're probably more easier to mold because I was probably that kid growing up. Um, even though my mom didn't get baptized until um, I was a little bit older, um, she, I, I was like five years old being introduced and indoctrinated. You know, you want to give us a few things about your schooling that you, um, with your, maybe your friends, how are you now? Um, with your with your friends after you became a witness, did you have to get rid of them? Get rid of those as people as friends? No, luckily we my mom was was kind of easy on that sort of stuff, so we were still able to have friends at school and in the neighborhood. Um, but there was definitely a difference the year before and the year after. So the year before in fifth grade, when I was not a witness yet, my friends at school they were they were my friends. They were just that. Um, we would be able to hang out after school, go to their houses and stuff like that. But we be, when we became witnesses, my friends at school became my friends at school. That's it. So after school ended, you need to concentrate on making friends with the kids in the kingdom hall. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Um, being that you were the oldest, did you feel any pressure to uh, you have to be the example for your older brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah. Being the oldest, definitely. It's already pressure as it is being the oldest. But then you add being a witness in there, too. That adds even more pressure. So, 
yeah, that's the way it was with myself as well. Yeah. Right. Now, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned that, you know, you were a rebel at first and, hey, look, you know, I, I don't believe I'm a bad person, but now y'all telling me I am because I want to do all these things. But then you made it through the ranks in the Watchtower because you became a ministerial servant. So how did things kind of change where you became, where you went from this kid that didn't want to be a witness to now this person that's like on a Watchtower fast track? Ooh, that's a long story. <laughs> Where do you want to start on that? <laughs> um, oh, you want me to come back? You want me to come back? <laughs> yeah, where do you want to start? Because I didn't become a ministerial servant until I was 22. So um, there was a lot that happened in between there, a whole lot. <laughs> you want me just okay. to run with it or we can, or we can go section well, by I mean, section? You know, um, at, what, at what age were you when you actually um, decided that, hey, look, I'm going to go ahead and give this Jehovah's Witness thing a shot? Probably 18. Probably 18. I got baptized at six, at 15, but it wasn't until I was 18 that I actually made the truth my own. So before that, I was just going along with, with the family and going through all the routines. Um, and there's certain there's certain roadblocks, you know, when it comes to, to advancing. Um, for example, I want—I've always been a car guy. I always wanted to, as a kid, I always looked forward to being able to drive. And as a witness, I couldn't get my learner's permit or my driver's license unless I was baptized. So that was one of the big pushers in getting me to to that step of baptism. So, but I, at that point, I still didn't really make it my own. It was just if you want to get if you want to drive, you have to get baptized. Um, my stepbrother had also gotten baptized. And since he was younger than me, it's like, okay, if he's going ahead, taking that step, I better do that too. Otherwise, I'm going to get some some sour looks being the oldest. Where so, did that come from? Where did that concept come from? Because my cousin was under the same thing. Her father told her if she wanted a car, she would have to get, maybe she, maybe hers was bad. Maybe hers was getting to her permit too. What Was the society um, telling people to, to tell their kids that at one point? I think it was influenced from, from some of the other parents, but I do remember later on that the society did say something about that. Don't let your kids drive unless they're baptized. So at some point that did become something that was said, but at that age that I was when I got baptized, I'm not sure if that was something that was being said or not. I can't say for sure. And I don't want to miss, misspeak, but. Okay. Well, yeah. What, what, what it is, 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 it's one of those things. And this is why we emphasize on, on our channel. Uh, witnesses live by two sets of rules. They live by what the watchtower says, but they also live by the culture. And the culture is what addresses that issue. You will have speakers who it wouldn't really be in the outline, perhaps, but it's the culture of the witnesses. Friends, uh, is your child responsible enough to drive the yeah. car? And he's not responsible enough to Jehovah God. And so after they say it three or four times, it becomes it becomes de facto law. <laughs> I mean, that's that's, that's how true. it works. Uh, because I, 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 people have, have I've, I've talked to people over the years, and you know, you get the circuit overseer there, or someone will say something at the circuit assembly, and this is what every parent will use when they go back home. When they go back home, and they have the family study, and the issue comes up, well, daddy can't get my license. Well, you heard the brother say at the, at the circuit assembly, or you baptized. And, and so it becomes, like I said, it becomes de facto law. And that's a lot of the things that take place in the witness culture. You will not find that written in no magazine. Wait till your child, you're not gonna find it. But the culture is there. And you exactly. talk to the young people, yeah. You talk to the young people, they'll tell you <laughs> my folks won't let me get 
fuck my license until I get baptized. And, and like you said, JT, that could have been something that some circuit overseer started. It is part it is part of the culture. This, this, this is the part that people don't understand about the witnesses. There are so many things that you live and die by that's really just the culture. This is the nature of the culture. It's the greatest. And, and, and when, when, that, when this thing first started, I remember someone telling someone about it. I said, man, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread because that was not used when I was coming along. Uh, when I was coming along, there was no mention of that. But in the last you know, 10, 15 years, that's, that's been the greatest tool to hold over a child's head. You want these, you want these keys? Get baptized. Which is kind of ironic because you would think that the parents would realize he ain't getting baptized because he loves Jehovah. He wants to be able to get the car on Friday night to go to the basketball game. But they never think about that. That's what that's what makes it so ironic. So you have all these young people who are jumping in the water, and they don't really want to get jump in the water, they just want to get the keys. And, and that just goes to show how this religion works. If you actually think that you can hold over a child's head, a car keys, and his relationship with Jesus Christ, that 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 shows you exactly what kind of religion this is. That 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 I mean it's amazing, it's absolutely amazing. That's pretty bad. Now, Justin, <laughs> so you looked at somebody else in your family and said, Well, he's gonna get his um permit to drive and because he got baptized and so then you felt peer pressure behind that exactly yeah. oh yeah yep. how long did you think about it before you just decided to get baptized oh not very long at all <laughs> not 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 as long as i should have not as long as they want you to um so actually before that just before that we had a friend in the congregation this was an elder son this was our first time having any, any interaction deep interaction with the elder son and being able to see the preference that elder sons get um you know for example being able to run mics being able to help at the literature counter just things like that even even just being invited to certain events we would get looked over but this brand new elder son that just moved into the congregation is getting invited to everything and being able to do all these things that they told us we were too young to do but here's this kid that's even younger than us but because he's an elder son he's able to do it so anyways one day this is during the time when we were still having the book study at people's houses and after the book study is over this kid he pulls me and my brother aside and he says i'm thinking about getting baptized at this new at this next convention and i don't really want to be close friends with anybody that's not getting ready to get baptized so what's your baptism goal so that put extra pressure on us because here we're being told you know we can't really have any any worldly friends but here's this witness friend that's telling us he's not going to be our friend unless we are moving towards baptism. So that happened. And then my brother decided, OK, you know, soon after that, he's like, I, I'm going to go ahead and get baptized. And then right after that, I'm like, OK, I, I just got to do it, too. So we me and my stepbrother ended up getting baptized on exactly the same day, one after the other. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that baptism peer pressure, man, is, is amazing the way it works. Um, People come back and say, and I, I remember after most baptism, people who will be standing around the pool, there'll be somebody in the car. He's I, I, little Johnny, when you, you, you next now. And, and so you got 35 people looking at you like, oh, you going to get baptized next. And so that, that becomes once again, that, 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 that crazy witness culture, man, it, 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 it dominates so much of our, it, it dominated so many aspects of our lives, man. It's, it's not even funny. It's not even funny. I think it got worse after we kind of came out of school. But listening to you, Justin, you've got like someone saying car keys 
Now you're looking at this, um, this elder son comes in, he's popular and he's like, Hey, look, I'm going to cut off my association with you. And so now you're like getting further, you know, into the um, pulled in and sucked into this religion. And what about your, what about your stepfather? How did he feel about this um, car key situation? Was he on board with the same thing with your mom? At the time he was still studying. So he, he kind of had to be on board with it. And Here's the thing, you know, when you become witnesses, um, it's almost like the elders in the society, they supersede your parents. So here your parents are are the end all be all. They are the law when you're a child. But when you become a witness, you have this extra law above them. You can almost tell on your parents. It, it's crazy. <laughs> so, so you know, he, he may not have agreed with it. You know, I never asked him that, actually. He may not have agreed with it fully, but he, he probably felt like he had to go along with it. Oh, yeah. A, a lot of a lot of unbaptized husbands just to keep peace in the home. They 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 let a lot of things go. Like, well, whatever. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna make a big deal of this. You know, it's probably a good idea. He don't need to drive. Plus, <laughs> make my insurance go up. And so, and so, they, they oh go, I mean, the, the, the untold things that unbaptized husbands simply allowed the kids to do because they didn't want to have to deal with the blowback from mama. You know, taking the kids out in field service, all that kind of crazy stuff. Most dads, if you ask him, Dad, can I stay home this Saturday and watch cartoon? Yeah, boy, go ahead and watch cartoon. But he knows that the wife gonna be on him, on, on him like you know, white on rice, and so <laughs> it, it, it it just didn't work. And so a lot of us could have probably been, and, and it's very unfortunate because, and we we've talked about this a lot. Uh, a lot of us probably could have been saved by our other parent if they had only taken a a, a firm position, like, baby, I'm not gonna have my children walking down selling no books up and down the street, you know. Um, and so. It's just, but but because it's religion, and historically, um, we know uh, historically women have often taken the kids to church. I mean, if you look at the average church in most communities, it's full of women in churches on, on women and children on Sunday. Well, mm -hmm. the average father, the average man, the male, he'll see other women taking their kids to church. So his wife want to go to church. So and we and we've had this conversation with a lot of guys. That's how a lot of guys who didn't know what the witnesses were all about end up losing both their wife and their children, like you said, yeah. to the congregation. Because one thing that happened is that the wife will come home and keep saying, the elders said, the elders said, because that's what happened in my home. And my dad like, who are these, who are these elders keep saying all this stuff? They ain't paying no bills around here. And so um, <laughs> they end up taking over. Like you said, they end up, the elders supersede the the head of the house. That's just, that's that's the cult. Once, once again, that is the culture of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. Well, Justin, what about the college? Like, so like, you know, you, you, you took the bait, you got baptized and things like that. Um, how did you do in school? And did you um, ever contemplate going to college? How did that, how did you, how did furthering your education play out? Yeah. So, um, so sixth grade in elementary school was my last year in public school. After that, we got pulled out and we were homeschooled. But it's different than most witness kids that are that are homeschooled, if you can call it that, because my mom is actually a certified teacher. So our homeschool was harder than regular school. <laughs> we were doing uh, college stuff in, in ninth and 10th grade by that time. Um, so because of that, my, I think my mom was in a conflicted situation because being an educator, being a professional educator, she wanted us to go to college. She wanted us to get some college at least. Whereas the watchtower is saying, you don't need this. You don't need this. And it's coming tomorrow. I mean, so she didn't know, you know, and um, but we were required to get at least something. 
So I actually did end up going to school. Um, I just got a two-year degree in, in architectural design, and I did pretty well in it, actually. So I'm, I'm happy I actually made that step, yeah. Oh, that is excellent. Now, you're the first person that we've talked to that was homeschooled that the parent wanted the child to go off to college, which, which, like she said, she wanted you to get some schooling. So I feel like, you know, you got a, would you get an associate's degree? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because see, now it's like you wake up from this religion and you did this under being a Jehovah's Witness. So you wake up now and you can now go on for another two years and get your bachelor's if you want to. But when we woke up, we had nothing. We had to start from scratch. We had no college at all. And so you were young. You were you were right out of high school when you went to college. Um, so I went to after high school, I did a year of of auxiliary pioneering. I was going to do a year of pioneering, but I ended up hurting my my knee. So I couldn't do couldn't couldn't do the walk. Um, had to get surgery and then recover from it and all that. Um, so I just did a year of auxiliary. But and then after that, then I went off to, to college. Oh, OK. Wow. OK. Wow. Yeah. So what about what about. um? So you were 18. No, you said you were 15. You were 15 getting baptized and you were 18 getting appointed as a servant. 18 when I took it seriously. 22 when I was appointed a servant. OK. Mm -hmm. OK. So now once yeah. you started getting these Watchtower titles, remember how you talked about the elder son and oh, he was being uh, fast tracked over here and getting invited to all these things over there. When you finally got appointed as a ministerial servant, did your social life begin to change in the congregation? Immediately. Immediately. Yeah, it's all it's all about the title. And I've, I've never been one to care about the titles too much. Um, but as soon as that appointment announcement happened, it's like my entire view, everybody's view of me changed immediately. All of a sudden, if someone had a, a child that was getting into trouble and stuff, oh, hey, Justin, can you study with this, with this kid and help him get back on the right track? Um, and it's like, hey, I, I was the same person as I was yesterday. <laughs> same person. The things that I didn't know back then, I still don't know. And, you know, but it's all about the title, though. They, they really do think that there's some divine spirit that's guiding these appointments. Um, but what it really is, is just that you're showing that you're being a company man. And that's what they want. They want people that are company men. Yes, men. That's not going to go against what the organization doesn't want. So. Right. Yeah, you working you working with the program. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's amazing how um it is how they do you. And like when you, when I was listening to that video that you did um about why you left and how you woke up and you talked about how stressful it was. So now when you're talking about the stress as being a Jehovah's Witness, are you including the time when you became when your family first got involved with it all the way to your appointment or you want to kind of talk about the type of stress you were dealing with when you were one of Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, yeah. So at the beginning, it's just the stress of just getting involved into that. Becoming from someone that's outside and not knowing what's what, and then being dropped into this new environment, this new culture, where everything that before was okay is now bad. And if you like it, you're bad. Um, so that was the first first dresser. The second one was just going to school, having to stand there for the flex and stuff like that. Um, as I said, in one of my videos, I found a way to just skip over that because it was too much. It was just too much. So what I would do is, is um, every morning I would 
walk incredibly slowly to my classroom or I'd, or I would ask the teacher if I could use the bathroom just before the flag school start. That way I would always miss it every single time. That entire year I did that. Not something that a kid should have to be, you know, worrying about when they should be worrying about learning in school. So that was another stressor. Um then you had just the you know the association and the clicks and all that stuff. Um when I was Ooh, let's see. I was 16 when I was 16. So a year after getting uh, baptized and we moved to a new congregation and my stepbrother ended up getting reapproved. And that completely took down our whole family, the way that our whole family was viewed. So we were we were just brand new in a new, new congregation. We were getting invited, everything, all the love bombing. You know how it is. Then he gets reapproved and that's snatched away in an instant. And all of a sudden, we're the outcast again. You know, brand new congregation, we're the outcast, and we're we're getting viewed as bad association. Um, and even though it was my brother, my stepbrother that got reproved, me and my little sister were also thrown into that too. And again, that's reproved; it's not disfellowship. So they really should have been supporting him, you know, to make sure that he doesn't that he didn't take that next step. Um, but they instead they they drew away from him. So now, you know, instead of hang out, being able to hang out with our witness friends, now we're having to hang out with our worldly, worldly friends because our witness friends don't want to hang out with us anymore. So that was a, that was a humongous, humongous stressor at that time. Um, it was almost like a mini shunning. So then when I turned 18, the reason why I took it seriously at 18 is because my mom at that point had had enough. She had been to two, three different congregations. She never felt the love. So she she was just gone. She was done. Um, she would come to meetings every now and then, but she was she was inactive. And so now it was, it was on me to get myself and my siblings to the meetings and everything like that. And that, you know, that's when I had to start taking it seriously. Cause now it's on, I'm, you know, somewhat of a spiritual head at that point. It's on me to make sure my, my siblings get to the meetings and out in service. And so I got to take it seriously. I got to be there. And that was a huge stressor. And then, then becoming a ministerial servant, you get all that, all those layers, all those duties stacked on you. The meetings is not a, a place to go and sit and learn anymore. The meetings is a place to do something. So. Wow. That's very, man, that's very challenging. Um, your, your brother was considered the bad seed and you were suspect because you was near him. Um, and that's the way the congregation treats people. Um, this is the, like I told you, this is the part that people don't know about. Um, you, and you were right where they should have been supporting because he was just reproved. Yeah. They basically cast him out. And for all practical purposes, you get treated like a disfellowship person for all practical purposes. Uh, you won't be invited nowhere. Nobody's going to have you over your suspect. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm really interesting how, how your mom, because of that, that's what you from what you could see, just simply just caused her to slow completely down. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was right after that, that she was just, it was, it was that that's when the decline started for sure. Yeah. We, you see your kids treated like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, you, witnesses find out very quickly that that quote unquote love that they told you about when you was doing the Bible study thing for one hour a week, um, when it's time for it to step in and kick in, in too many cases, it, it just it just never shows up. It just never shows up.
I used to be afraid of people that were disfellowshipped because when I was a little kid growing up, the way they introduced that concept to me. And so I thought like, oh, they got the cooties or something's going to happen or get those people away from me and different things. And I remember um, this was even an issue when we were in our congregation after we got married. And this one brother got disfellowshipped. And I was like, oh, my God. It was like it was a scary thing. But it was like, that's the indoctrination part, you know, because of the way they make you treat people or look at people in those in, when they're um, going through this situation. But you know what's interesting about that whole disfellowshipping thing? You can have a family member that was never one of Jehovah's Witnesses and somebody got pregnant out of wedlock and you wouldn't even be afraid of that person. Yet you get a Jehovah's Witness baptized, pregnant out of wedlock, gets disfellowshipped. You ain't you ain't afraid of your cousin that got this that there wasn't a witness that got pregnant. But why are you scared of this person over here? See how crazy that is? <laughs> it makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. And so it's 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 the way they treat it's the way they teach you to treat people because they got baptized. Yeah. You know, that's how they control you. Yeah, it's you all know? part of the control. It's all part of the control. Okay. Right. So it's crazy. Yep. So now, as soon as you come out of that water, you're in a whole different set of rules. Yeah. Did you There's ever? No doves, but that did change. <laughs> wow. Did you ever regret getting baptized when all this stuff was going on? No, because I was so indoctrinated. So no, I, I, I never regretted it until I woke up. That's okay. when I regretted it. Yeah. Okay. But before that, never regretted it. I just went along with it, especially at 18 when I started taking things seriously. I, I was full on in it. So, wow. Now, how long did you serve as a servant before you woke up, and what woke you up? Yeah. Okay, so I served as a servant. Um, see, I was appointed at twenty-two, and I served until I woke up at twenty-five. So I served for three years fully in, but then I served an extra year fully awake, which has challenges of its own. For anybody that's that's Pimo out there, uh, physically and mentally out, that's also appointed. Do you know exactly what I mean? It's no, no nobody and nothing can prepare you for that. Um, but as of, as of what woke me up, so you guys know, as soon as witnesses they they graduate from from high school, they do a year of pioneering. After that, they're immediately on a race to get married. I mean, they don't even these people are saying I do. They didn't even have a good layer of dust on their high school diploma yet. So um, I, that was happening in my area, too. People were just racing off to get married. And, of course, you're in that 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 uh, culture, that environment, and you want the same thing for yourself. Um, so I was uh, um, I was having issues dating people, basically. Um, for one thing, I never felt like I could be myself around witnesses. I felt like. You know, when you get into know somebody, you ask them, what is your favorite music? What's your favorite movie? What do you like to do? And I felt like all those questions as a witness, those were loaded questions. So I couldn't answer them honestly. And if you're dating someone, especially with the intention of marriage, shouldn't honesty be the first you know, building block of your relationship? And I felt like I couldn't build that. So um, that was one factor. The other factor is just, just being a witness took my took down my confidence and my self-esteem just down to nothing um 
and of course you got to have confidence to be able to, to talk to people and all that stuff so that was the other issue now i say that but when it came to to worldly people i could feel like a, i could be myself and not that i was a bad person listening to anything bad or watching anything bad it's just i could be more honest um and it felt like because of that my confidence just felt a little bit higher so there was this this girl that was working at my local store and we started talking every now and then and just from talking to her you know i, I felt that comfort with her that i didn't feel with the the girls that were in my congregation and just the girls that were in the in the witnesses period um and because of that it got me curious okay what what would happen if me as a ministerial servant would get with someone that's not a witness i had no idea what would happen i figured that i would lose that that appointment for sure but i didn't know what would happen after that so i went on google and i just typed it in just to see if anybody else had that same question because i knew i couldn't go to my elders and ask that so i had to ask google <laughs> and sure enough somebody else had that same situation and i found my answer but i also found through that the xjw reddit page and that's what led me to waking up. So I <laughs> that's what it's <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I love you know what? I'm gonna tell you something. I was that I was that's my personality type as well. You mm -hmm. know, you you say you say, what are other people looking for? What are other people um you know seeing and saying? You know, I'm gonna go up on the uh search engine and ask the question, and that's the one thing. That the watchtower can't stand. Yeah. They don't mm -hmm. want you up there googling anything, you know, <laughs> you know. And my and my my dad was it was so funny because he was telling my aunt this and she she passed away in 2020, and she was shunning us. And so my dad told her he said, "Well, why don't you go up on the internet and Google it?" And she goes, "I'm not googling anything, you know." <laughs> and it was like, but but it was like you know she didn't care. She didn't want to know. Yeah, you know. But it's the people that want to know. You know, why is it that you're going down to the local store, talking to some girl, feeling comfortable, feeling like I can be honest, but these people over here that I'm supposed to be loving and putting my life on the line for, I can't even ask them what what's their favorite color, you know? Yeah. So so what what happened with this dating? I want to know a little bit more about this dating. Give give us a little bit more information about that. What what ended up happening with the the sisters? Did you get married? No, no. Luckily not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never got married to any of the the people in the in the organization. Um, if, if I had, I probably would not be talking to you guys right now. Wow, but that's what and that's that's probably what saved me. Um, yeah, so I, I I didn't get I didn't get, I didn't get with any of them, and I didn't get with the girl at the store either. Um, after talking to her and looking everything up on Google and all that stuff, I I just knew at that point I. I have no idea what's going on. And and at that point, you know, you shouldn't be dating anybody. So um, I couldn't put everything on hold and just dove into that world for a bit. And that, yeah, as you guys know, that that leads you all sorts of places. But um, onto, I mean, on the subject of dating, I was introduced to people, but what I didn't like was that they would say, here's Justin, he's a ministerial servant. It's like, what? <laughs> that That's how you're going to introduce me? There's so many other things about me, and that's what you want to focus on. 
And some of these people would be people that I had met before. They weren't interested at all until they heard that I was a ministerial servant. And that was fake to me. And I couldn't, I couldn't take it. So that was another factor of, of not wanting to date as a witness. Yeah. So I wish I had, I wish I had more dating stories, but yeah, it was just so true. The, the, the status thing. You you made the point about you can't be honest about you can't be honest about the music and and I I know a brother had the same problem. He asked his sister, you know, you know what's your your favorite music, and she just kept saying the Kingdom songs, the King. And he's like, no, nah, nah, I ain't talking about the Kingdom song. You know, no, what you like, you know. And 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 she thought that by saying the Kingdom song that would give her an extra two points if he was looking at the sister, and 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 it did this, it, the result was the same as with you. He was like, she she came and tell me what kind of music she like. You like, you like, you like. We, we, I mean, what do you like? And and she couldn't say anything other than Kingdom songs. And he knew right then that uh, this this girl definitely in the one. Um, but yeah, that the, once again the culture puts you in a situation where you have to. Lady C and I, we did a, a thing about us, and we the same thing of us. You know, we write back to each other. And you always had the right to make sure you sounded spiritual. You know, I mean, it, it's an amazing it's an amazing culture. It, it, it is an amazing subculture, as they say. That people know nothing about. <laughs> well, yeah, you were fortunate though that you that you had a thinking cap on because, yeah. like you said, I didn't even get with the girl at the grocery store or the store up the street because you know um, you realized that there were some um, serious things taking place in your life and you had to get yourself on some even footing before you even thought about um, yeah. dating and stuff like that. So, um, so you were one year as a Pimo. That must have been really, really hard. What was yeah. what was that one year like? You want to share some experiences of things that happened to you while you were trying to pretend to be a, Jeho a Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> where to even begin? I mean, you for starters, you now know something major that you can never talk about. And with, with me, since the biggest part of me waking up was the Australian Royal Commission, all the child abuse things, um, it's something that you want to talk about. You see people that have kids, you see people letting their kids run around at the conventions and stuff. You want to say something, but you know if you say something, that is it. You're out. And um, again, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but at that time, I was working, I was still working for a company that was owned by witnesses. Not only owned by witnesses, but about 80 to 90% of the employees there are witnesses. My direct manager is, uh, I think he was either a server or an elder. His boss was an elder. His boss above that was an elder. The owner's an elder, a pretty big time elder in his area. Um, I'm, I'm sharing an office with the elder. I mean, everywhere I look, there's somebody that if I am found out that I no longer, or maybe even questioning things, I could lose my job. So, and it was important because that was the first job that I had in that industry. So if you, you know, you need something to put on your resume, you know, if you're looking for another job in the industry. So I, I knew I could not get fired from that job. Otherwise that would ruin my, my entire career probably. So um, that was, that was a, a major thing throughout my entire PMO existence was trying to stay low to make sure I didn't get fired. Because you you guys know the witness community is so tight and somebody somewhere could say, hey, Justin's something a little bit off with him. Is everything going okay with him at your at your company? Then all the questions start, get, start going back and forth and before you know it, you're out. So um, 
that was that was going on during that time. Um, it was also just having to give parts and stuff like that. There were certain parts that you had to give where they're basically asking you to say something that you know based off your off of your research is just not not true. Like um, I I know I had a talk that was talking about the 1914 thing and 607, and you just have to give it. You have to give it, even though you know this is misleading people. And of course, I had to give my second and last public talk fully awake as a witness. So that in itself was experience as well. Um, because you have to, I had to write a talk, you know, and, and still fit myself into that community and into that mindset to be able to give that talk without giving myself up. Yeah, it's, it's so unfortunate the the hoops that you have to jump through just to leave with any type of semblance of dignity and and keeping your sanity. Like you said, in this case, uh, making sure that you could help yourself financially because you it would have destroyed you. And mm -hmm. um, and, and this is this is one of the reasons why we, we, we try to have people like yourself on to share these types of experiences, because people need to. And we, we have so many people. They will jump up. And I understand. We I mean, Lady C and I, we talk about this all the time. You know, they get mad. They, they, they lie to me and they jump up and they go off. I mean, they go off, boy. <laughs> And they feel so good after they go off, but then all of a sudden, uh, some reality kicks in, and that is they haven't prepared for it. And man, the blowback is just devastating. It's just and and unfortunately, that's the part that we, that's those are the pieces that we end up picking up. You know, we'll get that we'll get that emergency call eleven thirty at night. Oh, JT, ladies, what, what what can I tell the elders? You know, what you what you what you in right now? I'm meeting in five minutes. Oh Lord, man, we can't tell you what to do in five minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's so, true. And, that and, true. And, and, and we see it all the time, man. I mean, we, we and that's why we try to tell people watch the videos, look at what other people have done, and you identify what would work best for you. Because everybody, you, know, you came and so you have people out. You got some extra whole you know, they, they be trying to force people out. Go on out, go ahead and say it, and, and they yeah. be setting you up, man. They be setting folks up because we heard about that. We see people get set up. And then we have to you know, try to help put them back together many times. No, don't be trying to set nobody up. Let people move at their own pace because they're going to deal with the ramifications at their own pace. And you That's won't right. be there. You won't be yeah. there when they're when when that guy tells them, I need you out this weekend. You're not going to be there when you gave them his advice. Yeah, just go ahead and tell him. Kick, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. No. Right. You need to stop and you need to think not emotionally, but critically because the witnesses, exactly. they ain't playing. They're there. See, they ain't playing. They've already, yeah. you know, okay. they've already been prepared. Yeah, they've already been prepared. What to do when you step to them? And unfortunately, most of us who are leaving, we have not been prepared. What to do? True. And we get we get we, and we get blown out of the water. Get blown out of the water, man. Yeah, yeah and Justin, you know, I thought it was interesting what you said because you know a lot of people we talk to they're coming from a cleaning job, and yeah. here you're talking about I'm in the industry. This ain't no cleaning job, and this is my first job in the industry. And you know that you gotta get a clean bill, uh, a, a clean track record. Clean bill of health. Yeah, as it were, <laughs> right? So now, um, how long did it take you to get another job? You know what I mean? When you were dealing with that, did you did you stay in the same industry that you were in? Yeah, similar industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so tell me us, so tell us how long it took you to get another job. And what was the um, feedback from the brothers of you leaving their company? 
Ooh, yeah. So it took me two years after waking up to get another job, to get that extra year of experience. Because if you have, if people know, usually it takes, if they want to see at least three years of experience. So it took me another year to get that experience and, and then another year to be able to get out. Um, and the response I got when I put in my two-week notice, it was, it was basically, why are you leaving? And I couldn't tell them why I was leaving. But um, yeah, that, that was the response. It, it was, why are you leaving? You know, we don't want you to leave. You know, the just, just as you would expect. Um, but I think some people in the company knew that that was the last threat that they had over me. And as soon as I was out of that company, I'd be out of the whole religion. So. Wow, man. For two years, on. I had to keep it. <laughs> that's deep. Yeah, for two yeah. years, I had to keep it buttoned down. For two years oh, going yeah. into that office with all those elders, two years sharing an office with the elder where he's playing Kingdom Melodies and stuff like that. And that is so triggering when you're trying to leave and you're hearing that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And then yeah. and then trying to um keep with the lingo because I remember when we woke mm -hmm. up. I referred to somebody as a, um, not a sister. I, I said, um, I was talking to this lady. I had mentioned it like that to the sister. And I had referred to another sister as a lady. And I didn't say sister. And something as minute as that would be like, wait a minute, why did she say lady? You know? And so you were probably beginning to deprogram some of the watchtower lingo. So if you were in the office and sharing this office with his brother, I mean, it doesn't take but a hot second for somebody to know that your that your language is a little different. Exactly. You know? So when you left working with this company, are you doing the same job that you were doing? Their same same line of work? Similar, but not the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I I ended up having to lose that. Yeah. That's one of the things that I had to lose with leaving the organization, was having what? to lose that job. Yeah. So wait a minute. So you, so you, did you, did you go up in the in the um, workforce, or you went down? Probably up and to the side. <laughs> so it's it's. I used to design houses. That that's what the job was. And now I'm working in kind of an IT sort of space where we're working with people that are in architecture, but it's not directly with it. So we're kind of overlaying on top of it, on top of what they've done. So Hold it's a up. similar skill set. You mean to tell me some Jehovah's Witnesses are designing houses in a company, yeah. and they and they own the company? They own the. They're the, they're a builder. Yeah, they're a home builder company. Yep. Get out. Oh, you want to know the crazy thing? That home, <laughs> that office, my office. Guess what was across the street from it? The what? assembly hall. The assembly uh, hall. So every day I had to go into work, I had to drive <laughs> and see outside my office window the place that I sold my soul to this publishing company. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's believe that? crazy. That's oh my wrong. god. No, I that's can't wrong. believe it. It's like like you probably um suffer from PTSD every time you went oh. in there. Yeah. Oh, that oh, is yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I just can't yeah, get over it because you're so used to, to talking about um brothers having window washing businesses, and now <laughs> we're talking to somebody who was working for Jehovah's Witnesses that were home builders. So I guess their way of getting around that was like, okay, so we're going to be the company that's going to be building houses in the new system. <laughs> right. Oh my God. So, but how do you like your new job working with, um, working in it? I know we work in it as it's well, a, but yeah, it's a, it's a good job. It's a good job. It's not, it's not as creative as, as designing houses. Um, it's not my, 
passion, but it's 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 good though. It's a good company, good people, good pay. So I can't complain. Amazing. Yeah. So now, um, because you had said that, um, when you gave that last um public talk, you said you changed congregations, right? Yes. And so, in the midst of you changing congregations, you're still working at this job. Yep. But then, wow. when you get to your new congregation, are you getting reappointed as a servant, or are you just kind of like you're fading at this point? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Every the exit door is not going to be the same for everybody. Just as JT was saying, some you can't force people out. Some people can just make that disassociation call and just leave. Um, for me, and probably for a lot of people, fading is probably the best way to go. So that's what I did. After my last public talk, I immediately started fading. And um, basically, like right, right after, at the first meeting, <laughs> first meeting, I started leaving halfway. I started going to every other meeting, started going to only Sunday, but missing the midweek meeting, you know, just going through that whole routine. And it's, it's frustrating because you, you gotta be very careful what you do so that you don't raise red flags, especially when in my case, I was still working for witnesses. Um, yeah, but it's, you, you have to go through it and you have to be steady with it. If you backtrack at all, they're going to catch on. Um, so that's what I started doing right away. And I, I made sure absolute sure that I did not get reappointed into the new congregation because when I when I joined, it was I joined right after their CEO visit had happened. So I basically had to wait till the next one to get reappointed. And I just told them, no, not now. Yeah. So I basically made it seem like I was going to do it later, but just not now. But in reality, never. So <laughs> amazing. So now so now, now now you're doing a balancing act. So now the brothers in your new congregation, do any of them work at your job? Or no, is this luckily enough. Luckily, okay. Luckily enough, but it's such a small community that everybody knows everybody. So when I told mm -hmm. them where I worked at, they already knew people that worked there. So even though I'm in a whole new congregation, I still had to keep my head low and still had to be very careful how I faded out. Yeah, Ooh, <laughs> I basically oh had to fade God. out so yeah. fast that they that they didn't they forgot I was there in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I think I think I think the most important thing about your your story about about what you're telling is is that people need to to, to grasp the dynamics because a very simple person can say well you know that's crazy I, mean, I tell you know I'm gone what but 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 this is very important I mean this is absolutely important that people understand you know when you accuse a religious group of being a high control group or a cult this is the kind of stuff that you want to to use as confirmation. That someone actually has to do this to maintain their sanity. That that's crazy. That this is crazy. This yeah, is absolutely crazy. That's just the job. You lose you yeah. lose your friends too after that. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amongst even even if you're fading, you're still. You, there's no there's no way to leave. There's no easy way to leave. No dignified. Even if you're fading, as, as, you're as still going to lose people. Yeah, there is no dignified way to leave. No. no. At, 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 the, at the end of the day. There is no dignified way to leave. It's not. And Justin, so like when you were working with this company, um, like were you still living at home with your mom at the time or had Luckily. you moved on your own? So you're still living at home. Luckily, I was still living at home. Luckily, the economy had beaten down our generation so much that I was still living at home. Because <laughs> if I if I wasn't, oh, I would be in the I'd be in a very bad position. So luckily, I was still living at home. 
and it got to be it got to be so bad. My mental health got to be so bad having to do these mental somersaults every single day. Because like you said, you know, you don't know the language anymore. You you even just the way I was talking, you know, you know, I, I started to to really build myself up as soon as I started to fade out. So now I'm talking like, you know, oh, you are you actually want to be somebody? You want to do something? You want to have success in this world? We're on to you now, you know? And you know, and then, and then every single morning, especially after a meeting night, you have the risk that somebody's going to ask you, how, was the, how did the meeting go last night? <laughs> so right. all these that things, so you, you know, all those summer, yeah, all those somersaults, it beat me down so much to the point that my mom was actually saying, do you want to just quit? You are, you're living at home. You're going to be okay. Do you want to just quit? Um, and then you can find another job later. That's how bad it got. It got to the point yeah. that, I mean, yeah. That I don't want to trigger so, anybody, oh, but so yeah, that's sorry you had to go through that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you mm -hmm. know what? I was in like a similar situation almost because I think when I was working um, at the firm I was working for, um, there was oh, about, man. I want to say there was about 20-something. About 20. The homeless witnesses that yep. worked there. Ex-Bethelites. All, all kinds yep. of folks worked there. Yep. The, the guy <laughs> who ran our office supply room was the ex-Bethelite. Yeah. And he came to he came to work every day because it was a you know it was a, a it was a at the time it was a big six accounting firm, but when he when that brother came to work, you could have thought that you were at Bethel the way he was walking around there. He had that little that whole little area so nice and neat, and he and he actually had a good reputation with the oh, firm. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. like if if this guy would have would have found out I wasn't going to meetings while I was working there. And and he would have been like ratting me out to these people. Then they would have been looking at him, thinking, "Oh, this guy is." They 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 had high respect for him. High regard, high regard. Because he would go like um, years without taking sick leave, and he was given like awards for not taking sick leave, and so he was well respected. And then his other brother was an elder, and when you would go into his office, he was the one that took care of the office facilities. And when you went in that brother's, um, the area where he worked at, he had every bound volume all up in there. You know, if you wanted to do some research on something, he had like yeah. a little miniature library. In his, in his office, in his <laughs> office, man, he had bound volumes up, right. lined up, lined up. Like, oh my goodness. That's crazy. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, and I stopped by, I was like, I don't believe this guy turned his office into a Kingdom Hall library. <laughs> and, and it's funny because the, the people that I worked for, you know, like I was an executive assistant at the time. But these guys were like in office facilities. There were other secretaries that were there, like my 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 ex roommates. Then the the people that ran the courier desk, the mail room, and we used to have our documents delivered to us and stuff like that. So they worked those kind of jobs. They didn't, they didn't work the um professional jobs, but it was just a lot of them that worked. A lot there. of them, yeah. And they had outstanding. And and I'm gonna tell you. There was like some witness kids who would get hired on and they wanted to be worldly. They couldn't even be worldly. They, they couldn't even be worldly. I know one little <laughs> young brother, he tried to be, and, and, and the two elders, they snatched him to the side. You can't be dissing <laughs> like that coming up in here. You know, and so he couldn't even be worldly, man. Oh, you know what the worst, but you know what the worst part of the worst part of working that job was when I used to work in my previous jobs, I would go to lunch with people. Yeah. And they weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. And we would go to lunch and, and, you know, let's go, let's go to a Chinese restaurant, blah, blah, blah. The Jehovah's Witnesses didn't want to go out to eat. So when I got this job, I got all these Jehovah's Witnesses and I'm like, do y'all want to go to a restaurant? You know, let's go sit in a restaurant and eat. Nobody wanted to go. 
But guess what? I couldn't go out with my worldly coworkers. Yeah. Because um that would have been frowned on. But the other jobs I, I always worked at, I would go to lunch with my worldly co-workers all the time, you know? But in that environment, I couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. It was so yeah, crazy. Yeah, same thing. A similar thing happened to me, actually. Yeah, I had a, a co-worker that was worldly. And make it worse, she was a woman. And, you know, but she was, everybody that worked at that company was, was you know, pretty older. So, and she was the only one that was around my age. We had a lot of common interests. And it was not like we were trying to go out with each other. It was a professional relationship. So we would go out to lunch every now and then and didn't take too long before I got pulled into my manager's office. He says, I'm talking to you as a brother, not as your boss. And what you're doing, you know, basically you're not supposed to be doing all this stuff. Are you still a ministerial servant? That, oh, that was the moment I almost got caught. That was the moment that I almost got caught. Whoa. Because you just forget. You just forget. You know, you're. Th I'm thinking, hey, you know, we're just. No, we're just, we're no. just, they will remind <laughs> you, they will remind you. And see, those are the kind of things you don't be thinking about that, that they're like, you're like walking this fine line, yeah. not realizing that you're not doing anything wrong per se, but to a Jehovah's Witness, you are. Until morale mm -hmm. improves, the beatings will continue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So Justin, you want to tell us anything else about what you what you went through that um other people can um look out for or give people some advice on on how to how to step through this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> everybody's journey is gonna be different, but one thing that's gonna be common for everybody is that you are leaving a a community, an organization that is fully inclusive. You are blocked off from the rest of the world. You're blocked off from everything that people would consider to be normal. And you have to now find yourself a new normal. Um, so that's the biggest thing you have to, to do after leaving is finding that new normal. A lot of witnesses believe that they they know everything because we were taught that we know everything. We know that everything there is to be, know about the Bible. We know what's coming in the future. We know what happened in the past. You know, we we, we know everything. But here's the thing, though. Biggest thing I've learned since I have left is that you don't know what you don't know. If you think about those words, the more you think about them, you realize how powerful it is. You don't know what you don't know. There's so much stuff out there, so much stuff. So don't stop learning. That was my biggest thing. The biggest investment I ever made coming out of the witnesses was the $5 that it took. It might, they might have raised the price by now. At the time, it was $5 for an Audible subscription just to read or, or listen to, to audiobooks and, and take in more information to, to start knowing more stuff. That's how I, how I built up my confidence. That's how I learned just how to operate out here in the world, because you can't operate this out here the same as you did as a witness. It's just not going to work. You can't treat people like that. You're not going to get very far. Nobody's going to appreciate you treating them in a judgmental way or you know, holding them up to some crazy standards. So, and people are, people live different ways. You got, you know, you have the whole LGBT community and you have, um, you know, different races and different ethnicities and everybody's different, you know, and as a witness, our, our your culture was being a witness. Everybody was the same. There was the sameness that existed. That again, that was the normal. But when you're out here, that's not, that's not the normal. 
it's a mixing pot everybody's different all these different ingredients and my advice for any newly out witness is take your time to learn all those ingredients just take your time to learn different people different people from different cultures different people from different lifestyles and you'll start to see the beauty in it all and you'll start to see that you know trying to separate things into these are good people and these are bad people that's not the way to go that's not the way to go because if you do that you're going to miss so much yeah that's that's excellent advice and, and that's the same advice interesting that ray franz uh gave in his publication that once he left the organization for the first time in his life he could deal with people as individuals not as blocks worldly people you know on jehovah's on our side and he, he and that's and i know for us we often talk about that you know you deal with people as individuals and you will find that there are people who are absolutely intelligent brilliant and yes you will find that there are fools out there too and so you get the chance to deal with it all the good the bad and the ugly yeah, yeah. that's true and i like your approach to audible because that's the same thing i did and i got over 500 uh, titles in my catalog um since 2008 when i started listening to audiobooks and i feel like you know um i i even started doing fiction and i got a big a huge education through my fiction books because i got a chance to live through the eyes of people in other words when i left the religion and of course i didn't leave in 2008 but when we left the religion i didn't have to go out and start living a life of debauchery you could just read a book and get that <laughs> you know you could just read somebody else's experience and uh some of the fiction books i did i was like oh my god you know the things that these people had gone through and everything and it's like oh my god line. this is a good learning lesson if i had kids i would make them read this book because that girl she took the wrong turn she shouldn't have did that but it was a it was a non-fiction i mean it was it was a fiction did i say it was a it was a it was a fiction book not nonfiction. I, I did fiction and I did nonfiction. So, but I'm talking about the fictional novels I did. And so right. it was the stuff that people were doing in those books. It was like, oh my God. So anyway, um, I like, like how you said that. And the other thing that I like to tell people is if you don't know what to type in the um, search engine, type in there, how can I improve my life? How can I, you know, attain self-esteem or something and Google will bring it back a lot of things for you. And I feel like when Jehovah's Witnesses leave the religion, they they become so um, involved in just watching ex-Jehovah's Witness videos that they miss um, some of the other stuff out there. And like we try to put out about one video a week because we don't want to take up everybody's time and just be putting out videos. So now you don't have time for another life. But we try because we gotta have we gotta live too. We can't just be putting out cranking out videos either. Yep. So we try to be a little balanced when we're doing that as well. So um, and then there's a lot more Jehovah's Witness channels cropping up. But I'm just simply saying that while we're sitting here consuming all these videos, um, people could be getting an education on YouTube too for other stuff that's out here. So true, so true, yeah. The watchtower sets such, sets such a low ceiling for us. And when you come out, that ceiling is still there. It's not going to get removed. So you have to start doing that work. You have to start learning. For example, financing. All we were taught was live a simple life and basically money is evil. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know how low a ceiling that sets for you? And do you know in, in today's, you know, 
well, at this recording, our inflation rate is insane. We're about to go into re a major recession. I'm sorry, but living a simple life and thinking that money is evil, that's not going to be very good for you. That sets you up for failure. So yeah, you, these are the things you have to start learning to remove those ceilings. You know, I mean, I can tell you in my life, since I've been allowed to celebrate birthdays, every single birthday, I've been able to compare myself from the year before and be like, wow, you know, I've learned all this stuff. I'm a completely new person. Every single birthday, I can look in the mirror and say, how high does this thing go? Let's see how high this thing goes. That's a great way to live, <laughs> you know? Don't set any limitations for yourself. Get away, get away from all that stuff. <laughs> the watchtower exactly. has set our limitations too low, and you just got to get rid of it. Set new standards for yourself and set them high. Set them very high. If you want one million, change it to ten million. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just just set them high it. and see how far you go. <laughs> see how far you can go. It's your life. Right. Don't waste it. That's true. Yeah, that is so true. Like, um, I think it was Jim Carrey. Um, before he became famous, I think was it twenty million dollars, and I think he he wrote a check for some, for some a large amount of money, and he said that was what he wanted to attain, and somehow you know he attained whatever he set out to to attain, and so um you got to put it in you got to put it in um an action you got to you got to put a plan out there write your plan up, and then you revisit it after six months to a year and see if you've made any strides towards it. But if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in yourself because the people that you want to tell you to move ahead. Yeah, Justin, go for it. That person's not going to do that because nope. if they tell you to go for it, that, that means you're going to leave them behind. And we live in that kind of a world where people are not going to give you the boost in the arm that you need. And um, I don't want to be too um, long-winded here, but there's a guy, we went to go see him. His name was Willie Jolly. And he's a motivational speaker. And we were at one of his um, motivational events. And he talked about how he wanted to sing. Willie talked about how his friend, who he thought was his best friend, was dogging out his singing voice. To the point that he stopped singing for three years. And he said he didn't realize he could sing. But because that person that was standing there acting like it was his friend was telling him, oh, man, you sound terrible to the tune of this man could blow. OK, so sometimes we got to be careful who we um, are surrounding ourselves with. Because they might not be the people that's got your best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. That's oh, what I'm absolutely. saying. People want you to, to, if we're all actors, people want you to stay in your role. They want to be able to leave for 10 years, come back, and you are exactly where they left you. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. And you, ha you have to do that to yourself, too. Sometimes we, you get into routine and you, you expect yourself to stay into your role. You know, breaking out of that, um, for example, I said a million dollars. Everybody wants that, but Imagine how are, are you able to handle it? <laughs> how how scary would that be to have that? You know, so many of your life would, uh, so many aspects of your life would change with that. You're out of your routine. You're out of your normal. Um, so yeah, big thing for ex-witness is learn about self-sabotage and how to stop it. Mm -hmm. really but you know what, that, Justin, yeah. it's interesting how you say, um, looking for a million dollars. 
Um, a million dollars is not going to buy you much in today's market no. because housing, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to get a decent sized house in a, in a relatively safe neighborhood, you're going to be paying a half a million dollars just for that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So now it's like, you've been living this simple life all these years and you barely, you barely in your apartment and now you want to buy a house, you know, that's going to be difficult for people. Yeah. And we see how yeah. this impacts witnesses. Now we, 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 we often talk about people who um, who we came along with and man, they're having to move because the apartments are going up. They can't afford it. Uh, they literally didn't set anything aside. I mean, we know so many people who are still in. And I mean, they literally have not because they they figured Armageddon was going to save them. Mm -hmm. And so even even though many of us, we may say, well, I don't have what I what I would like to have set aside or stashed away for for the future. But man, when you look at some of the people we left behind, oh my goodness! I mean, it's I I I just I mean we we right now we're we're going through the thing with our parents are getting up in age, and both my wife and parents myself, getting up in age. We we just lost our moms. Yeah, oh, and then so and, so and so we're start, and so we're starting to 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 see the effects of that. And we we were kind of fortunate because our parents they 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 basically had like state jobs or government jobs, so. They 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 were pretty they're they're pretty they're okay they're okay, but man I think about all the witnesses that I knew Sister Davis she pined for forty five years no Brother Smith he worked out at the mill for a hundred years, and now man you know they're they're short, I mean they're short they're mm -hmm. short terrible. What about your mother? You mentioned yeah. that she wanted you mentioned that your mother said that you could quit your job to, and and just don't worry about it and she would you know support you financially. Um, did you were you able to wake your mother up from the religion as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah. So my mom, my mom was already she was already out. Um, she was inactive. Um, when I woke up, I that was the first person I talked to was my mom. I said, look at all this crap I found. <laughs> and she actually already knew about a lot of it. But because she was inactive and because I was still a servant, she couldn't say anything to me because she was afraid that I would that I would shun her. So that's another danger of, of, of the witnesses is that you, you these parents are who might be awake are having to keep their heads down so that they can keep contact with their kids. Um, but yeah, she, she was she was awake and she's out. My whole family's out, luckily. Um, so I got I got it easier on that on that front. I know a lot of ex-witnesses are having to leave behind their family. I just had to leave behind my job and my friends. So I, I kept myself blessed on that point. But even that's hard. So I can't even imagine how much harder it would be to lose your family as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're glad to hear that. Yeah. My mom said the same thing. She said that she realized it wasn't the truth years ago. And I asked her, why do you didn't say anything? She said, cause you know, you, you were one of them crazy elves. You would, you would have just felt <laughs> me. And I told her, she probably right. I probably would have. <laughs> he would have called her elders. Do you know JT when he was an elder and he found out that my mom was watching the the, the, the stories, the the um soap operas. He was trying to call down there to talk to the elders about her watching the stories. He was trying to keep trying to keep. Oh, you were a super elder. And, and, I, and I remember when we first got super married, because I was still look, I was still watching the stories too, right? So when we got married, I had my little recorder going, and I remember coming home and I was getting ready to watch my story that evening, and JT was like turning off the the TV, and it took it took a couple of times before. <laughs> I realized that I wasn't going to be able to watch my soap operas here, you know? So it was like, oh my God, you know, but um, my mom, 
you know, she was watching the Young and the Russells when they came out, when they first came out. So that's all she ever watched. <laughs> yeah. And she never stopped watching her stories. I mean, that's I'm just right. telling you how crazy but, it was. But you know what? I, I, I use it as a, as, a, as a teaching point as well, because I tell people, if I could get out, then anybody can get out. You just have to be willing to do the critical thinking. That's all. That's all it is. Right. I say exactly the same thing because I wasn't looking to get out. I wasn't. No, neither was I. Here I am. Yeah. I had I had more to at the time I thought that I had more to lose than to gain. I had nothing to gain, everything to lose. So I thought. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Then you then you're out and you figure out mm, that's not the case at all. You got way not more to gain. <laughs> and you haven't lost anything. You haven't lost anything no. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? I think that um the reason why we we all got out of this religion is because unbeknownst to us, we were critical thinkers back then. And I feel like, you know, like JT talked about giving that talk about 1914 and then the making a change. And then you were talking about how you were giving talks and, and questioning what you were also, you know, you know, teaching other people and you saw things that was happening in the religion that just didn't make any sense. So you are a critical thinker and, and you are saying, Hey, let me just Google that. Let me just find out if anybody else feels the same way. It's just the inquisitive part about your personality. And I think that's the people that are really getting out of this religion are the people that are inquisitive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's just, yeah. it's a, it's, it's commendable. It's good that you're a thinker because um, even after you woke up, you, you realize that, Hey, look, this is wrong what they're doing. But I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater either. And I realize I got to keep I got to stay level headed because that's so important in life. You know, life is, is just so um, our life is fragile and decisions that we make in our lives can be the difference between life and death. Things that we do, decisions that we make. And I, and I feel like Watchtower actually gave us some balancing act in that arena because it's like no sex before marriage. Um, you know, all these kind of things that they were trying to keep us away from. And like, while we were like not indulging in that activity back in the day, there were a lot of people that were in, involved in those kind of activities. And a lot of those people have died from HIV AIDS, you know? And so um, we, we were living at that time when that was real prevalent and, but because we were Jehovah's witnesses, we often say, Oh my God, if we were out there in the world, where would we be when that pandemic came about? You know, it's just something to think about. So in some cases you are protecting yourself from some, some things, you know, because yeah, of that. That's true. Well, see, that's the problem. The, the watchtower uh, sells some things that are good and they force you to take the stuff that's bad and we condemn other religions for doing the same thing. And that's really the problem. And mm -hmm. I tell you all the time, watch that I was told me not to steal, pay my taxes on time and don't shoot my neighbor's dog because he pees on my spinning rims. You know? <laughs> oh my God. But, but but there are other religions and groups that teach the same thing as well. So, you know, you, you have to put it in perspective, you know, put it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just something to think about because um we had a lot of people like like um teenage pregnancies and you know, people getting in trouble and, and women being stuck with kids and men, you know, fathering all these babies and they can't work in the system now because they child support is following them everywhere. And that, I mean, just all of that and everything in between. Right. 
But um, so when you leave the religion, I mean, you can still be the person that you were. You ain't got to indulge in every activity just because you uh, are no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've, yeah. We've, we've seen people leave, man. I'm going to be honest with you. They go so crazy, man. Even the worldly folks on their job be like, you didn't do this when you was your whole witness. <laughs> it's, it's so, and, 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 and it, it kind of reminds you of the old thing that I think, I think they refer to as like the, 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 the Catholic girl who, you know, she goes to Catholic school, but then she just goes but crazy and but wild, you know. And that's kind of the way some witnesses are. They lead the organization, man. They just go absolutely crazy, man. And we and we see them. We, we meet up with them years later where they're like, yeah, boy, I left. Boy, I was doing some crazy stuff. And unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes there's a price that has to be paid for that craziness that they were doing where they could have really saved themselves some extra pain and hurt. And, that, and that's kind of... That's, you know, that's why we did a video a while back about, you know, don't mess around and become no watchtower poster child. No, don't do that. You know, you know yeah. success is the best revenge and keep it moving. Keep it moving. That's true. Yeah, so anyway, so Wally, you got to, I mean, um, did, I say, did I just say Wally? I just called him Wally. Yeah, he's my first study. I studied with him. Yeah. When I, when I first came in at 11 years old, I studied with him. studied with Wally. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Back up, back up. You aided Wally into the religion? No, 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 no. Well, when we came in, when my family came in, Wally was probably 12 years old. I was 11, and I studied with him. He was, he was my first study. I was his first study. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I told yeah. you. I, thought, yeah. I, I told you. I, said, I, think, I think Wally aided him in truth. Mm -hmm. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, Lord, yeah. have mercy. That's funny. <laughs> so and it was, have, a, so it was because do, of Wally man. that I got out. So this is what we're gonna have to do. Um, we're gonna have to do get the two of you on, yeah, and do a video because I think it's very important to see how we got people in and how we all end up out. I think that's a very, yeah. very that would be a very, very good story. Okay, yeah, yeah, that would be. Yeah, yeah. awesome. That's funny. Yeah, he was that's a big part funny. of that. Is yeah. so funny. His, he was a big part of you waking up. His yes. it was his. Okay. Yes, that when I got funny. on the when I got on the XJW Reddit page, but as soon as I figured out what it was, my immediate reaction was get off of this. But as I was scrolling through, for one thing, I had never seen the the other side of the shunning. Yeah, so it was when I when I went on the Reddit page, the first thing that that I saw, my, my first instinct was to get off the page. But what stopped me was that when you're a witness and somebody gets disfellowshipped, you hear that announcement, so-and-so is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and the door closes, that's it. That's the end of the story for that person until they come back. In fact, I had a friend that got disfellowshipped, and just, he was gone two years later, he's back. But that was my first time seeing on that Reddit page the pain that is attached to getting disfellowshipped, the pain of the shunning, the pain of grandparents not even knowing their grandchildren, or fathers not attending their daughter's weddings, stuff like that. That's just like, this is just not right. It's not loving. It's it's not loving at all. And in the midst of that, as I was scrolling through, um, I was getting ready to jump off the page, but then I saw a familiar picture. I saw what was for sure my assembly hall. <laughs> and in the center of the picture was Wally. And that's what stopped me because Wally is someone who is an elder son. He by by a very prominent elder. His family is one of those families that you tell them your last name, 
and things happen for you. You know, you want to go to Bethel, tell me that, that last name, you know, you have a much easier time getting in. Um, and so from that, I was, I was like, this guy is like, he's like JW royalty, you know, and he has way more to lose from leaving this religion than I do. I have a lot to lose, but he has way more. And so that was what allowed me to, to kind of look in further. I, I feel like everybody kind of has that thing that you, you get permission to yourself to look further into it. And for me, seeing that picture of him, that was what allowed me to get the uh, get permission to myself to look further into this. And the more I did, the more you know, the more you see, and it just it, the rabbit hole just goes deeper and deeper. So for those of you that don't know who Wally is, he runs the JW Thoughts channel, and he was also the first person that I studied with when my family was coming into the witnesses. I was his first study, and he was my first study. So. We both have a have a very big impact on each other's lives. And he was also my first seed of being able to get out. So he got me into it and he got me out of it. I owe him a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Wow, like that, that is amazing. All right. <laughs> All right. So Justin, we want to thank you so much for being on the program. And we look forward to having both you and Wally yeah. in a future episode where you guys can kind of talk about what it was like you know, you know, being in the organization together and leaving at yeah. the same, at, well, That's different true. times, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. for sure. That should be a good experience to share as well. Right. All right. So this has been Lady C. And this has been JT. And we'll see you all on the next episode. All right. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.